The world of story has captivated humanity since the dawn of time. The oldest known form of communication, verbal storytelling is responsible for the continuity and development of civilization from its most primitive moments to its most advanced. Story involves a sense of mystical wonder, but is also a powerful medium for communicating real and concrete ideas that shape people's lives and make them take action. Steve Schramm, marketer, nonfiction writer, and story nerd, and Alex Jagir, fiction writer, wannabe game designer, and story nerd, join forces as worlds collide to discuss how story is the most powerful concept ever known and how it interacts with each and every aspect of our lives, from the most magical to the most mundane. Well, hey there, and welcome into another episode of the Story World Podcast. Steve Schramm here, your boy Al. What's up, Al? Hey, Steve, doing well. How about yourself? Man, I'm doing so good. I can't wait to talk about some Nazis. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's what... <laughs> I mean, doesn't, doesn't that sound exciting? Who doesn't love a good discussion about Nazis? So, uh, I yeah. mean, um, I feel like we've lost the audience already. There is no audience right now. That, that's fine. We, we'll get entertained by it. But... If you read the title to the video, you would know that we are not talking about Nazis in the sense where we are big fans, uh, but we are talking about the movie uh, Inglorious Bastards, which uh, we just watched a few nights ago. Um, mm-hmm. Although I, a little bit of a, a fun fact, conspiracy theory before I uh, go on. Okay, let's hear it. So I'm so I'm German, mm-hmm. and my initials are S W A S, which is Swas. And so that. if you if you add four more letters, it's like bad, right? So anyway, we don't want to say that. I'm just saying. I yeah, it's weird. I feel right? like I feel like I shouldn't be friend with you anymore. <laughs> well, well, I love Jews, and my favorite person on the planet, Jesus Christ, was a Jew. So it's okay. oh, <laughs> well, there you go. I guess I'll take you. I wasn't, word. and I didn't name myself. I was too small, and I couldn't speak. Okay. Yes. All right, all is forgiven. Uh, so yes, the big screen. Now I have. Uh, so this is the first movie I think see that you watched that Quentin Tarantino has made, correct? Yes, and for those not yet in the know, if you haven't picked up on our clues or watched the time, the the fight, the the title. If you haven't seen the title of this video, <laughs> the thumbnail or the title, we're talking about Inglorious Bastards, the Quentin Tarantino movie. And yes, this is actually. What? what? I, I, already said, I already said that part, Steve. I said, <laughs> that's all right. Of course you did. Of course you did. Of course you did. You said that already. I did say that already. That's okay. Now people know for sure that we're not, that we're not <laughs> talking. Know for sure. See, professional podcasters would cut all this out, but, but that's why you're not listening to a professional podcast. But if, but if we're anything, it ain't professional. So... <laughs> That's right. We just have cool mics that make us look like we are. Yes. Yes. And, and lights. Have, it's a facade. But anyway, yeah. So anyway, Quentin Tarantino, I'm a big fan of his. I'm glad you got to watch for the first time. It, I'm always I'm always hesitant for some reason about when we watch a, a movie that either one of us hasn't seen or I've seen and you haven't seen because I'm worried that you won't like it. But you always come out liking the same movies I do. So I'm very glad of that. Yeah. And uh, and Glorious Bastards was a uh, um, no surprise there. So anyway, um, I guess I should read the synopsis before we get into it, um, just for people who haven't uh, 
watched it. So it is the first year of Germany's occupation of France. Allied officer Lieutenant Aldo Rain, played by Brad Pitt, assembles a team of Jewish Jewish soldiers to commit violent acts of retribution against the Nazis, including the taking of their scalps. He and his men joined forces with Bridget von Hammersmark, a German actress and undercover agent, to bring down the leaders of the Third Reich. Their fates converge with theater owner Soshana Dreyfus, who seeks to avenge the Nazis' execution of her family. What's mm-hmm. funny is reading that, um, except for aside from maybe the scalp taking part, seems like a setup for a uh, a very kind of gritty, solemn World War II right? movie. You're very traumatic, right? And it is yeah. anything but. What's funny is I watched the trailer again a week or so ago before we watched it. And the comments basically all said, like, this does not do the movie justice. Like, it, you, you're not prepared for what you're about to watch. Um, I'm sure yeah. that there are accurate, the, the most accurate description, uh, kind of a shorthand of, of this movie was a Jewish revenge story, essentially, is this is what this is in an alternate history of World War II in the most uh, glorious of... Um, violence and um retribution taking against uh the nazis that could ever be told i don't know what what do you what are your initial thoughts on kind of seeing the movie for the first time steve oh well i didn't know what to expect other than you you told me you gave me a little hint that tarantino was kind of known for just letting it happen right to Mm -hmm. use you know howard stern right letting it happen right he um he takes his time mm. in the scenes and he builds it up. He's actually a very good marketer, if you will. He's really good at holding attention. And then the payoff at the end is just epic. But he, every scene is very well crafted. Like very clearly, his movies are done in such a way that a lot of other directors are not brave enough mm-hmm. to do, is the reality. And they, they think in order to hold the attention of the audience, they have to cut scenes a bunch of times, you know, yeah. and, and use other filmmaking tricks to keep you engaged. And in many cases, that's true. But Tarantino uh, appears to be such a good writer mm. that the the scenes really do carry themselves. And the actors that he chooses for the roles are just incredible at making that happen. And I also found that the movie was paced very well. So you would have a scene, for example, the opening scene, mm. it just takes so long. I mean, you're 20, 22 minutes yeah. into the movie and still in the opening scene. And you might think, Oh, that's so boring. Oh, it's not though. It was incredible. The buildup. But then right after that, you get a good few moments of release, right? Yes. Where it's a yeah. little bit faster paced, a little bit more of the dynamics of the different characters come in. And so the payoff I found is not only there actually in what happens in that scene, like it, cause it typically is, but then it's also there in that, like you get almost this endorphin rush after um, what he, you know, a- after that particular scene with whatever scene comes next, it's a really good, um, you don't get two scenes back to back that are similar. Yeah. So he's really good at pacing it out and structuring it. And I, I mean, just, I thought it was fantastic. I mean, really, really well done on, on, on the structure. I, I, we can, I'm sure we'll cover different stuff here too in the future, but I kind of want to take a deep dive as well in my podcast at some point, like really studying his films and everything. Cause you're absolutely right. There's, there's a lot to be taken there from like what you said, even f- 
especially from a marketing perspective, holding people's attention and how to do that. Um, but from storytelling, everything that he does there is extremely applicable to writing a fiction book. I oh, yes. like I'm thinking of like, you know, you have magic systems for books. I'm almost thinking of just like a writing system where making rules for myself, like every and it a lot of it goes out saying, but just like every scene should be purposeful and every like detail should have like like meaning behind it it should be important mm -hmm. and, you know in one of my favorite so the, the covenant books i feel like one person made a comment on it where every chapter when you sometimes chapters are just like um the author will give a title to it that kind of relates to it and then moves on and another chapter another chapter but i want to have a book where someone hears the name of a chapter they can recall what happened in that chapter because it's so memorable right. just making mm -hmm. everything meaningful in in each moment of your story that you're telling and i think quentin i'm not gonna put on a list of who's the best director and who's not but he's one of the best hands down just because he has that skill and talent as a writer getting the right actors to play the parts knowing how to hold the tension knowing when to release it um the comedy too um involved um oh, yeah. it's a perfect mix of everything there's just there's a lot to study there like i'm i'm sure uh i'm sure there's film classes at colleges that just go over his movies at certain points to teach the students things um mm -hmm. uh, but anyway yeah that's kind of more thoughts on that yeah um what i notice him doing and i'm actually because i'm really like nerding out on this idea of world building in mm -hmm. business I'm really nerding out on that right now and, and having a fun time sort of learning about people who've talked about this because it's actually the one thing that, like, people do really well. Um, certain people do really well, particularly the ultra-successful people. But they don't – oftentimes they don't talk consciously about it. Sometimes they may not even know that they're doing it. Uh, for example, Elon Musk, okay? What makes Elon Musk work? Okay. Well, it's not, he doesn't pay for marketing. He doesn't have a marketing budget. He, he literally, like you can read, I mean, he doesn't believe in having marketing and advertising mm -hmm. budgets for his stuff. He doesn't want to market it. He, he literally believes build it and they will come. Um, but he's subconsciously doing something that he doesn't even realize he's doing. So one of the things as I'm reading his biography that has come up, I promise this is related to the movie. Okay. Um, one of the things that has come up is um, obviously there's been a lot of tumult in his life, just crazy stuff, right? I mean, he's known for exploits with women and he's got like a bunch of kids and he's the richest man on the planet. There's that little detail and where he's fixing sustainable energy and he's taking us to Mars and he's drilling tunnels in the earth and just like <laughs> it's crazy. Someone stuff. like that exists. It is, isn't it? It's really, it's really insane. And fun fact, you might not know this, but Tony Stark was actually modeled after Elon Musk in the original Iron Man movie. His character was, and and so, um, and so you might think, well, okay, this is a crazy dude. Well, he is a crazy dude. But like one of the things that his book highlighted was this tweet that he put out put out this one time <clears throat> that was like, I think it might have had to do with with the context was his takeover of Twitter and turning it into X and everything. And it's like all this crazy stuff going on. And he said, he put out a tweet that was so genius and so brilliant. And the tweet was, but aren't you entertained? <laughs> now now yeah. think about that for just a second, but aren't you entertained? 
And in in that moment, when I thought about that, it clicked for me that I know why Elon Musk is so successful. Ultimately, he's world building, right? He's painting a vision for the for the literal future in reality that's based on fiction worlds from days go, gone by. Like he's very heavily influenced by Isaac Asimov, by the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, mm. um, the Foundation series, just all kinds of science fiction, even Star Trek and stuff like that were actually very influential on him designing the future, which is an interesting thing that I've told you about that I think we actually need to like separate that out as a separate topic and talk about sometime how fiction literally paves the way for visionaries to imagine what's possible. It almost mm -hmm. has to start in the imaginative, the fantastic world before it can be brought into the real world. And so that's a very interesting concept I think we should talk about. But it's, it's interesting with Elon that he understands that people need to be entertained. He understands that um, dramatic demonstration is important, like having an AI day where he presents the new Tesla bot, you know, the Optimus uh, bot with a lot of fanfare and things like that. He's got rules, right? There are rules and laws and points of view. For example, I'm going to have lots of kids however I can because it's important to have kids. And by the way, you should have lots of kids too. You know, that's what, what, he, would, what he would say. He has an algorithm. It's a definable thing. He, he talks about it. He has an algorithm for how to solve problems or, or for how to improve efficiency and make a company better. It's, it's a literal five-step algorithm that he has. So there are rules and laws and vernacular and language and nuances to his world. He talks about being a spacefaring civilization, right? That's a tidbit in his world. And so Elon Musk, Walt Disney, Steve Jobs, uh, all the big players that you could think of, this is what they're good at, world building. Okay, why did I go down that rabbit trail? Because – this is also what Quentin Tarantino is doing, in my opinion, at a meta <clears throat> level. So it's world building and kind of a meta sense. It's He's not just your average director. By the way, Chris Nolan, hmm. James Cameron, Steven Spielberg, in potentially, some yeah. in some respects, in some respects. Why are there certain directors who you know their movies. You said it's literally mm. M Night Shyamalan might be another example. If yes. if, if you get, if you have an M Night Shyamalan, which I've actually never seen any of his stuff, but I but I, this is how deeply this is how big this is and how much this works. If you have an M Night Shyamalan film or a Quentin Tarantino film or a Chris Nolan film or a James Cameron film, you already know some things and have some expectations about what that film will be in virtue of who they are as a filmmaker, and that. It's not just, oh, they're a good filmmaker or they have a particular style. No, there's a world with rules and regulations and, and laws and certain way that things should be. And in any of Quentin's worlds, you're going to have certain things that are the case. For example, the building up of the tension. And and I was watching a couple interviews mm -hmm. after we saw this movie with him just so I could yeah. learn more about him and his world. And he's not talking about it that way, but that's exactly what's happening, right? What's happening is, is that he has applied his point of view, which is very important. Most directors don't have a point of view. They're just taking what the screenwriter has mm. and, and, and trying to make a good movie that engages and entertains or whatever. But trying to make a good movie and having a point of view as a writer-director, that's entirely different. And so he's world-building in this meta sense and getting people along for the ride. And that's how guys like Quentin Tarantino and James Cameron can be successful with a third of the number of films underneath their belt because what they're building is something that is in itself 
special and has natural appeal and and has a style that is undeniable. And plus, at the bottom line, it's also just really dang good. It's just yeah. good. Yeah, you obviously we've kind of talked about this this week, actually, in other discussions, but you you have to. Yes, you have to be good at what you do, but you don't have to be the best. It helps to be the best. I think Grand Tarantino is one of the best. But if you can separate yourself even just a little way, like if you're operating in some type of um, generic setting, whether it's uh, producing a like common movie genre or writing in a fiction genre that's quite popular, if you can just set yourself um, up and differentiate yourself in one way, Maybe you are an epic fantasy writer, but your main thing is that every one of your main protagonists in your book is a like a monster of some sort rather than a human Mm -hmm. or like if there's just something about you that sticks you out and you do it well, people are going to come to you and want to watch the same thing with Quinn. Like you said, I think it's really important. He doesn't want to make more than 10 movies. Technically, Kill Bill is two movies, but he considers it one. But he's not going to make more than, I guess, 10 or 11 movies because he thinks that people kind of go out with that. But he doesn't need to make more. He has exactly what he Mm -hmm. wants. He has the stories he wants to tell. And in his case, because he's done such a good job at setting up his world um, that he literally just builds it and people do come because they want more of that. Well, that's part of his world. Part so part of his world is I'm going to make ten movies, so yeah, every one of my of movies yep. is going to be worth seeing, right? Yep, that's absolutely. built in, and who knows how long on these interviews and stuff he's been talking about that. It could be it, he could have been. I, I, I think I really for a while. I, I think for a while. Time. He's probably been talking about it for a while, and so people know when he makes a big deal out of a movie, mm-hmm. then. Or when he makes a movie, it's it's going to very naturally be a big deal. So there are sort of these things that you expect, um, and they create these expectations. Like, again, when I think of Chris Nolan, a Chris Nolan movie is probably going to be dark. It's mm. going to be dark in some respects. It's going to have practical effects. Mm. It's going to have um, perhaps a twist on it that would be um, – um, that that makes it very unconventional from another kind of movie. Uh, for example, what was the one where it was a Chris Nolan movie, right? Where it like starts in somewhere in the middle and it starts at the end and it like contracts uh, into the, was that's was oh that Chris Nolan one? yeah yeah yeah. And if you went to Vast, it's one of my favorite movies. But uh, yeah, I, for some reason I'm blanking on the name. But I'm yes. totally blanking on the name. It, it was fantastic. Yeah, um, it's, got, it's got Guy Pierce. Yeah, he has memory loss. I just for some reason the name is just mm-hmm. yeah, totally. Sip, that's so, so weird. Sip in my anyway, mind, you go right? on. I'll remember but, it. But that. But yeah, but but that, and then of course the um, the big reveal at the end of the Memento. prestige, it, you know, oh, it's right, Memento, yeah. right? So there are these, and even the style of the music and just everything, mm. right? So it's it's all, it's, yeah, it's it's all this part of the world, and the movies can be entirely different movies, but you're still gonna like, you're still gonna get that satisfaction because you've been transported into one of Nolan's worlds, or into one of Tarantino's worlds, or into one of Cameron's worlds, right? Yeah. And that's you know, kind of whether where... it's Terminator or Titanic or Avatar, mm. you're in a James Cameron world. It's a completely different movie, but you're in one of his worlds. And so you know it. You know, it's and, crazy. And that's where I say this is not to downplay his amazing movies because he's made several, but where um Spielberg is a little bit different because especially a lot of his newer ones, I can watch a handful of Spielberg movies and not know it's a Spielberg movie. Correct. Um, and it's mm-hmm. just different. I'm not saying that that is bad. Um, it just um, 
maybe early on there are movies that definitely differentiated himself. Um, and maybe that was what's yeah. that's what Quentin is trying to avoid and also gain some attraction, of course, you know, by only making 10 movies. Um, but yeah, right. I, I think at least my opinion is going a route where you can make that even more distinction between you and others is just yeah. if it, if if not for anything else, it's super cool. You know, like it's really neat oh, yeah. that you can make yourself different like that. Yeah. Oh, oh, it it really is. And it's, it's like the prime, it's like the primary thing. Like, and, and so I, I think for Spielberg and granted, if, if you're listening to this by, well, number one, if you're listening to this, hi, like, like you're probably the only one. So, Hey, yeah, number yeah. one, <laughs> number two, uh, if you're, if you happen to be the only person listening to this and you're a huge Spielberg fan, then I feel like you should contact us because that would just be a crazy coincidence, but I, I don't know very much about Spielberg. So I could be like wrong here, but my thinking is that Spielberg doesn't, it's not clear to me that he has a point of view that he applies to his movies, mm -hmm. right? A, a world, a worldview around how a film should be made. I'm sure he has opinions on things. I'm not saying he doesn't have opinions, but the question is how much does the opinion color the movie that you yeah. make and, and how much, like how much does your opinion color the movie that you even, which movie you decide to make mm -hmm. to start That's with, which one. is a yeah. big thing for these people. It's huge. And yeah. then once you're actually making the movie, how much does, the way you like to make movies actually come into it beyond just mm. some preferences over the years. And so this is where I think Spielberg is probably like at the top tier, or, I mean, unarguably so, yeah. at the top tier of fantastic directors. If you get Spielberg mm. directing your movie, it's going to be a fantastic movie. But there's nothing special about it in a certain sense mm -hmm. not that not that some spielberg movies aren't special of course they are he's got a big name jurassic park is one of my favorite movies ever that's right so don't come at me bro right i i, I love a spielberg movie but is it's a, he's right there on the edge of can you even call it a spielberg movie or is it just a really good movie directed by chris mm -hmm. spielberg i think yeah. you could make an argument either way but these arguments but these cases like tarantino nolan and cameron and Shyamalan, and i'm sure there's others are clear cuts clear cuts and i'm not even saying that's better or worse i'm just saying it's why you know their names the way that you do they, yeah, they're separate absolutely. and they have a brand and a world applied to their movies and so inglorious bastards was just I mean, again the first tarantino movie i've seen but like if the rest of them have that point of view applied i can't wait to watch them you know that's kind of where i'm at with it absolutely and i mean and yeah it's uh when you watch another tarantino movie it's it's the same you get the same thing but they're still just as good. You're not going to get bored down or bogged down right, by a Tarantino exactly. movie. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, that's actually, I mean, we could create a whole series just on that, that topic of oh, yeah. creating your own mm -hmm. thing. We've talked about world building before, but so the, the movie itself though. Um, so we have our four categories that we kind of go up by. And the first one is we've talked about them a little bit, but um, we'll just go down specifically uh, plot number one. What I really like about this movie, and I would say the plot itself, again, it's a Tarantino movie, but it's like it's a mashup of a, a bunch of different things. It's alternative history. You know, it, it's World War Two. It follows a, a kind of like dissecting or, you know, two different storylines that come together. But um, it's all so well crafted, uh, the plot. And I think what really comes down to it, like what you said, the moment to moment story um climaxes and then the time to breathe but then it just culminates in this epic finale that he's so well known for that just really hits home and it's super satisfying yeah i i totally agree so 
of course the plot was fantastic, right? The actual mm. story, the, the the different people, of course, we'll get to the characters, but the different like people that are inserted to make the plot interesting, like the Jew mm. hunter and then the bear Jew, and just the different the different characters like were also dynamic. And so as as they all played to the plot, it, it was really fascinating. Now, one thing interesting about the plot, and this came out in one of the interviews that I uh, was watching with with Tarantino. Um so he is definitely a in the fiction book, you know, writing world, what we would call a pantser, right? Or a discovery writer. So mm. he lets the story, like he has the basic structure in his mind, like most, you know, most fiction writers attend to. Um, but basically all the details get filled in in the writing. And he this is hard for anybody who has never even attempted to write fiction. I I've attempted to write a little bit. So I know I know just a very little bit about what he's saying, but even with that, I I do know just enough to 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 really get it. But to sound somebody talk or to hear somebody talk like this it's kind of nuts, but he's like I literally let the characters tell me what they want to do. Right? Like I write and they they tell like I didn't he's, he's like I didn't find out that um Oh, the guy, right? So um, the, the first guy that you see, Landa, um, who is the, the Jew hunter in the movie, um, he didn't know until near the end of his story arc, his character arc. Like, well, not, 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 near, not near the end. That's not fair to say. But like as he was going along, he didn't realize that this was a guy who was so linguistically brilliant. And as he's writing the story, he finds himself in these different situations where he needs to be able to speak French and German and Italian mm. and English. And so it turns out he knows five languages, but that wasn't the plan, right? Landa told him in the writing that he needed to speak five languages, right? And so yeah. that's the kind of person that he was. And, and so and so I appreciate that deeply um, because what's happening is he's letting the story breathe as he's writing it and it's developing. But then at the end, of course, now all those little breaths that you've had all throughout that there might be some things. Now he can go back to the beginning, clean up all those loose ends, but also make it, make, make the, make the dynamics of those loose ends even a little bit more interesting. Like maybe insert a couple other scenes where he has to like, you know, speak a different language to somebody in order to like sort of underscore that that's a mm. big part of his character, right? So, um, yeah, the plot is brilliant, and it, it I, I can tell already, like hindsight, that one of the reasons why I like the plot is it's not, it's not structured in the way that you would design a story for. Um, okay, so this is important. As I, I've been looking into some of the world building stuff, like I was telling you about, I learned that there's really a difference between psychological storytelling and world building and sociological storytelling and world building. Okay. Are you a game of Thrones fan? Uh, no, I never got into it. Cool. So me neither. Um, at least not yet, but basically what a lot of people say is that, um, as soon as the, uh, you know, the original author, George R. R. Martin, he couldn't write fast enough to keep up with the show. <laughs> Right. Basically. And so for the last season, basically every season of the show was great. And then the last season, like the screenwriters came in and basically had to mm -hmm. write the last season. And it uh, apparently it was very disappointing, totally deviating from everything. And it was just it was just bad. Well, one writer I was um, you know reading on that pointed to an article that sort of made the case that, well, what happened is the screenwriters came in and applied psychological storytelling to it. In other words, well, we know that people like this kind of thing and it mm. needs to have this and it needs to have this specific structure, blah, 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 blah. 
versus George R.R. Martin is a sociological world builder. So he lets the world tell him what's happening and the world interacts with itself and storylines and threads and character arcs and things like that emerge naturally as a result of the sociology of the world. And so what am I getting at? What I'm getting at is Quentin Tarantino is not necessarily thinking, oh, well, I know that at three minutes into the movie, I'm going to want to psychologically switch over to this other thing. No, he did. He's playing the sociological game of in real life, this super tense situation between a Jew or a man who is hiding, uh, a French man who is hiding a Jewish family in his home and a Nazi literally called the Jew hunter, right? That thing would actually be a very, very tense 22 minute long conversation in real life. So sociologically he's world building with the world and the plot you can very much tell is a result mostly of that. I would say, 75 to 80% that, and maybe about 20% psychological stuff that as a director, he knows what makes people tick. Right. Yeah. But for the most part, the world drove it. And so the plot masterful, in my opinion, a great plot. Think how many directors would use probably all of them, except for Tarantino would use that opening scene as a two, three, four minute segment where there's so many right. different quick ways you could do it, where someone goes in, and just has the Ben like look for the Jews, hear something under the floorboard or something, you know, a stereotypical thing. And then there's mm -hmm. your opening. Um, just yeah, versus like what you said, how it actually right. probably maybe yep. would play out with someone like that. Right. Like I could see, I could see again the three to four minute conversation. He hears the noise and he goes, you know, something like you lied to me, da, 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 da. Yeah. men, you know, whatever. And they come in and then, and okay. And it might've been a fine scene. Yeah. It might've been just fine. It might've even been good, but it wouldn't have been great. Right. And it wouldn't have been what it was. Right. Absolutely. And, and that emerged as a result of the point of view of the writer, letting the world and the sociology of the world, um, just sort of, um, happen. And anyway, I thought, I thought that was, um, I thought that was really, really, uh, really great so i had another thought on that but then it's, it slipped my mind so if it comes back That's up fine yeah. but um but we can move on um emotional response um kind of going hand in hand with the plot but it, it goes out saying that the response that quentin quentin tarantino wants from you he's gonna get whether that be absolute silence holding onto your breath because of a tense moment or outright laughing at violence that you probably shouldn't be laughing at but it's so outrageous that you have to um, there's just so many, yeah. so many parts in that movie where you have different reactions and emotions based on what's going on. And it's not, okay, the beginning is very action filled and then you slowly get introduced to like the solemn ending or whatever. It's up and down, up and down. You're laughing and then your mind is blown by something you see on screen and then it's tense again. Um, he really makes you feel what, what he wants you to feel every single moment and what the characters are feeling mm -hmm. in, in the scenes. I think of, oh, yeah. think of the the part where and the music adds a lot to it too. But oh yeah, oh, when yeah. um, uh, what's the uh, uh, what's the uh, the main woman's name? Uh, Shoshana. When she is uh, when the German guy is kind of trying to like woo her or whatever, and she gets brought mm -hmm. to that fancy restaurant, and then Hans Landa shows up behind her, and you're just yeah. like, oh crap, this scene just got this mm -hmm. much more tense um so just amazing amazing being able to kind of twist on your emotions there throughout the movie yeah 
100%. I think my favorite part of that, and of course, that, oh my gosh, like the comedy that was worked in so strategically, mm-hmm. like when the bear Jew guy comes out and starts beating people up, and then any scene with Aldo Rain, <laughs> like just oh the, my the, gosh. the comedy yeah. of it just so perfectly counterbalances yeah. the seriousness of the yeah. of the of the Germans and all of that. Um, probably my favorite part about it that I thought was really interesting was, um, you know, so in, in, in marketing and of course in story writing and things like that, we, we talk a lot about the idea of like the promise and then the payoff that you get. Mm-hmm. And it was so fascinating that essentially, and just, uh, Hey, spoiler alert, you know, um, essentially oh, yeah. <laughs> they promise fairly early on into the movie that this theater is going to get blown up with all the Nazis inside of it. That's yep. the promise. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the promise. And at the end of the movie, after lots of tension, right? So, I mean, what? That probably happens at 40 minutes into the movie, and it's a two-and-a-half-hour-long movie. So, right? So, so two hours later, what happens? The place explodes into flames exactly as planned. And what happened happened, and you got the massive payoff that you were wanting. Like, Because when, when the chick, Shoshana, when she says, we're going to burn down this building full of Nazis, you're like – Heck yeah, you are like that must happen. And something, there was no plot twist at the end. There was, I'm getting there. There was no plot twist at the end though, that like ruined that. We got the satisfying. It's almost like, can I say this? I don't know. This is our, this is my podcast. I can say what I want to, right? It's like the satisfying thing, like of, of holding out, you know, like when you're having sex or something, <laughs> like that, right? You know, there it's you like, go. it's, you know, it's like, it's like, yeah, it could end in five minutes, but like, should it? When it could wait an hour and it's built up and it's a lot better, right? So, so I, I think because he delivered on that, um, that was really special and important. But throughout the way, you had a couple unexpected twists. You had some people die early on that you probably thought wouldn't have died. But then the most interesting twist, and it happened in the context of a genre shift too was when the guy that the movie was made about came into the theater room and shot up the Jewish chick who owned the theater, Shoshana. And mm-hmm. then, well, like they shot each other basically. Yeah. And you, and you get, so you knew that they were going to die anyway, because they were all going to be in the theater. Right. So they were all going to die, but Quentin goes the extra mile and kills them in this very, like it was the most almost Romeo and Juliet kind of scene. You, you can just imagine and they get yeah. taken out as the theater is burning, but they die literally because of this tension that was built up between them to bring their cat their character arc to its own satisfying ending in the context of the larger scene, which was so cool. I've never seen anything <clears throat> like that. Yeah. So two things. I think you're right. A lot of people try to I think a lot of movies, I'm thinking about your kind of stereotypical action movie that might be good. The ending falls flat. Either there's too many twists and turns like okay the bad guy got away from this initial plan and then he gets away from plan b i don't know it just gets kind of boring mm-hmm. but yeah, here uh-huh. you're right you had some like twists and turns on these side plots but yeah the, it, you were promised or you were hoping that the germans are gonna get blown up shot up whatever in this theater and that's exactly what you got and why would you want anything else except for seeing adolf hitler's face get blown to pieces you know like exactly well, that's yeah. that's what you want um and yeah, I, I'm glad you brought up the scene with Shoshana and I forget um, his name, but yeah, the guy with the German mm-hmm. the, the movie was made because they weren't in a relationship. She loved um, the guy that she worked with at the theater. Um, yeah. But along the way, she kind of 
I think she could kind of tell that the war took his a toll on him a little bit. They had their own little separate story arcs and then together. And the fact that Quentin knew that that relationship had to have some sort of ending is just brilliant. He could have easily let that mm-hmm. hang. And honestly, no one probably would have realized it. I don't think anyone would have realized that there was a relationship that needed some type of finality to it unless exactly. he put that scene in. And mm-hmm. it might be one of his more brilliant scenes. I agree with you. What what a what a great ending to that little story there. It's yeah. fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, one hundred percent. And then, the, but there was other little threads too, like when Landa put the, um, um, you know the the bombs right there yes. behind Hitler's yes. seat, and also gobbles, and you, and so. At the end, when he's making a deal with Out of <laughs> yeah. Rain and the, and the U.S. government, which is so crazy, he like takes credit for all of this stuff, but like he actually did it. So yeah. he's like, right. And so it turns out that I guess I guess at that point, like for whatever reason, he kind of knows that everything is going down, and so his only so. hope for rescue is to basically surrender and try to work out a deal. And so he literally in that process like sets things up a certain way to make him look like some sort of a good guy in, in the, in the process. So really just man, masterful handling of that. I have no, I I'm probably reading into this, but it just struck me how remember at the beginning of the speech, he gave the Frenchman about um, the Germans being like Hawks and Jews, like uh, mice. Yeah. And then at the end, he was kind of the Hawk taking the advantage of putting the dynamite under the seat, contacting the U S government. But in in the way, though, he kind of what his representation was of a Jew, kind of a mouse trying to weasel his way out of a situation that was going to end badly for him and try to find yeah. his way. I don't right. know if Quentin Tarantino meant for that to happen. Probably not. But it's just a cool, just a, a neat little yeah. ending to his story arc, too. Well, even if he didn't, though, it's fascinating how that can be seen in it. Like just even the mm. assumption of that's how that's how he builds his worlds like and that you know that's how he built this world like Hmm. that actually coming through in the story even in subtle ways i think is really interesting so when it comes the the emotional response was amazing when it comes and we kind of talked a lot about the characters here i think we're kind of talking about both of them but with the characters um i think i'm pretty sure i think multiple directors do this but tarantino specifically has an actor in mind when he writes these parts for ones that he knows he wants Mm -hmm. to do um Mm -hmm. but we kind of talked a little bit um for landa he didn't know because he needed to find someone who spoke four languages, who was an actor and who could play the part. I mean, it kind of narrows mm-hmm. it down quite a bit. And they finally found I don't know his his real name, but they finally found the guy yeah. to, to play the part. Um, but the um, the acting choices, um, as good as the plot is, as good as the emotional responses and Tarantino sets it up, he he sets the actors up for success for sure. But man, the actors do amazing work on that i wonder oh, yeah. what i wonder what the set is like obviously they follow the director's direction um but i wonder how what kind of liberty or what, what he has them kind of act like I, from my understanding of yeah. interviews he likes it when the actors kind of look at the script and come up with backstories for their characters and make suggestions to him as far as just like getting in their own mind with it and, and everything yeah. so um it's so, and, it, and it works out perfectly. And I just, I love Brad Pitt's character in there. Um, so good. So funny and so good. And Brad Pitt's one of those people. I think we mentioned it where you're watching him and you know, it's Brad Pitt, but at the same time, you kind of overlook that it's Brad Pitt too. 
because he's such a good right. actor. It's hard not to notice him, but he's such a good mm-hmm. actor that you still enjoy the character he portrays as well. Um, characters mm-hmm. though are top notch in in this and in any of his films. Oh, it, it, this was incredible, and, and there's there's a couple interesting things there. So actually, in this film, he didn't really have many of the characters in mind, from what I understand. Even Brad Pitt, I, I don't I don't think that he had his character. Hmm. He okay. knew what the character should be like, but I don't think he made the film for Brad Pitt. Gotcha. Now he did say that in the case of the Kill Bill movies, he had Uma Thurman. He, he was like Uma Thurman has to play this. It, mm. It's written for her. So maybe like, a certain gotta, characters gotta that he has in mind. It is, and he does, and he does do that for you know for sure. From what I understand, uh, the the case of Landa is so interesting, right? Because Landa, whoever plays him, so this guy was like a foreign made for TV mm. actor, basically on the downward spiral. Yeah. If you can, if you can even imagine that, <laughs> on crazy. the downward spiral in his career, and um. I, I I know he talked about this. I can't remember if the interview that I saw he talked about this, and you told me this, or it was one or the other. I I, I think it might have even been both. But the way that they framed this was basically like he didn't find this guy till the end, and so the Quentin's like, well, this guy saved my movie, but this guy's like Quentin saved my career. Mm, so like wow. literally, Quentin saved his career, and this guy saved his movie. Arguably, and he won an Emmy award, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for or an Oscar, whatever it is. Like yeah, or, an, or whatever it is. Oscar, Emmy, I don't even know. Yeah. He won whatever great award he won for his role in this movie, and rightly so. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I'm sitting here in the first so scene good. watching this thinking, this is literally one of the best actors I have ever seen in my life. I mean, I mm-hmm. had that decided before the end of the first scene, and he won, obviously, awards for it, and that was that, that was great. But... um. I, I just it was so interesting how that came together. Like the guy was literally on his way out as a failed actor and then had the movie of a defining movie in his career. Isn't that nuts? Just and how it, the timing works out on stuff like that. Sometimes? That is wild. Um, I, I guess maybe it's worthwhile watching Tarantino's movies from the first one to the last. I don't know, but Inglorious and Django are my two favorites. And he is also in Django as the main character. Um, so um, and he's just as <laughs> fantastic in that as well. Wait, wait, hang on, hang on. I, w- I was looking at something. Say, say that one more time. Who's in Django as the main character? Um, well, as one of the main characters, the guy who plays Landa. So he's in Django really, and, and they just happen to be like my favorite by Quentin. But fascinating, yeah, fascinating, cool. Uh, yeah, characters are great. And then the last part, category intent. We already discussed this really, but it's it's his own category and it's part of the world building thing. Yeah. And he just na- nails it right on the head. Yeah, he um, built his own category. And so you it's so fascinating, right? Because what else could you put this movie in? It's got it's got elements of historical fiction, it's got the elements of, of romance, it's got a, a massive comedy thing. Uh the category is a category all its own, and like it's a it's a ten out of ten. Like what well, how, how 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 do you get like a five out of ten Quentin Tarantino movie or exactly. or Christopher Nolan movie or whatever? Like they're just that they are what they are. So oh, I forgot too about the character. Shout out to Michael Myers for being in the oh being in the movie. Perfect. <laughs> I love that. Scene. Perfect, I, right? I I feel like I don't know if it's an exaggeration or if it's exactly like that, but that it seems like a representation of how British people behave together. Just the just the conversation flow and i don't i don't know mm. if this the scene is comedic but i don't know why it's comedic does that make sense um it just it works yeah. so well with him um, yep anyway that brings us to our meter meter 
Yeah. yeah. So, we need a, some sort of a bumper right here with meat and like meters. A, like a sizzle thing. Yeah, that would be, right? be great. Yeah. So, if it had some meat and a meter, that would be a good way to do it. <laughs> yeah. So we, uh, if you're new to the meat a meter, uh, we rate movies on a scale from uh, impossible meat to steak. We have impossible meat, then spam, then bacon, then burger, then bacon burger for those really great ones, but just don't quite make it all the way. And then the top tier steak. So, Steve, yeah. what is your final verdict on Inglorious? You know, um, I, I had a hard time with this. I really did. I really did. So I, I am going with a steak. I'm, I'm giving this with a steak. And here's my, here's my problem. I, I, I really went back and forth between steak and bacon burger, and not because, not but, because of the movie necessarily, but because I feel like we're watching so many steaks. I'm starting to I question know. whether or not my sense of of a movie is, is wrong. But again, my I have nothing bad to say. Like I can't even think of a criticism. I have to be completely honest. Yeah. I can't think of a criticism that I personally have of this movie. It was just so well executed. And I I even thought that the whole thing where like so much of the movie is in a different language and it's got like subtitles and stuff like that. I thought that was going to bother me. I literally forgot about that even till just oh, now. Yeah, it was nothing. It was literally like the smallest like nothing burger uh, in the movie. And so what can I say? I think it's something like only 30% of the movies in English or something like that. I read. Yeah. Which is hard um, to believe. Right? Uh, I have to go with the steak as well. And I agree. I think that we are watching too many good movies, but there's so many good movies we haven't seen. And why watch mediocre ones when you can watch great ones, but you're right. Sure. I just think we talked about before. It kind of comes close to however you can judge what something perfect is, but to a perfect movie where you're right throughout it. There was no lulls. There was, no point where I thought something was odd. It just all flowed perfect and yeah, perfect movie. Well, and to be fair, we are kind of going right now in our sort of like just as friends, like we're watching these movies together and we are yeah. kind of going through like our picks, right? Yeah. Like some of your I, these favorite are movies ours, that yeah. I've never seen and my favorite movies that you've never seen. And so yep. like it, it, it's pretty likely unless one of us just landed on a dud. So as we maybe run out of movies that fall into that category and we start to maybe go to the theaters and watch newer stuff that's coming Absolutely. out we might have some, you know, some different thoughts. So yeah, absolutely. I agree. Well, Steve, you know what? We didn't, I didn't put down a story of the week here. I can whip one up if you need me to. If you, well, you I have didn't, one. I didn't, I actually didn't either. I didn't, I didn't write one down either. And I'm, I'm sure I could think of something. Um, but I think, uh, maybe we just ended here for now. No story of the week this week. We've already told, uh, I've talked for a long time. So this would be our first one without story of the week. I don't know to feel well, sad or to to get over it. Um, it wouldn't be our first one because we've done some that were just updates, right? That's like basic true. little That's updates true. on where we are. I think I'm good like calling it quits. It's been a longer one, and uh, I think I'm good with that. Yeah, we still got one more to go too, so it's getting late where I'm Ooh, at. So. Yes. Ooh. All right, Steve. Well, it's been a pleasure, and I will talk to you in a couple minutes on our next one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make sure to change shirts for your benefit. No. <laughs> no it won't happen no, all right everybody take care god bless hide your kids hide your wife share this podcast it's a steak inglorious bastards steak. fantastic go watch it but not with your kids maybe with your wife but not with your kids all right take care <laughs>